politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for the issues that matter in the way they matter and at the time they matter. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here. See our podcast, courtesy of Blaze Media. It is the end of the week, Friday, August the 5th, and we got a lot to clear the decks for the week. Um, We've been talking about the most important federal legislation, obviously to get rid of the PREP Act. We've been talking about the most important state ideas, medical freedom, patient's bill of rights, uh, digital privacy bill of rights, obviously fighting across the board for bodily autonomy. And yet you look across the landscape and these issues don't exist. It's not happening. It's not occurring to most Republicans, almost every Republican. The reality is anyone who didn't realize that what I'm saying is correct yesterday should have put that to bed. The Biden administration declared their second overlapping public health emergency for monkeypox on top of COVID, which still exists. Wait a minute, so we now have two every 100 years? Really? Obviously, there is something funny going on here. And certainly all the observations that have been made about the hypocrisy, declaring a full emergency, rather than just saying, hey, stop your religious services, a.k.a. gay orgies, which is their religious services, that they actually stand behind much more than we stand behind our religious services. you got to give it to them. They're willing to risk getting monkeypox to uh, continue it. But nonetheless... If it's really only about them, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical. Next week, I want to get into monkeypox a little bit more. But they have ordered millions upon millions of these so-called vaccines that, by the way, there's information on it. It was never tested properly. There's already VAERS entries on them. Um, they're, they're live attenuated vaccines. It wouldn't surprise me if they're spreading it. So... I wouldn't just go around thinking, oh, it's just the orgies. I mean, for now it is, but they might use that as the impetus to spread it and then get the vaccines, and who knows what the vaccines are going to do. So my point is, we don't even need to imagine, wow, what could happen one day if we don't rectify the COVID fascism. It hasn't gone away, and they're already on to number two along with number one. And yet still, Republicans couldn't care less about this. How is this not an issue discussed in the budget bill? But Republicans don't care. So what we're about is pointing the ship in a certain direction and saying this is the outcome we need. We need masks and vaccine requirements banned from the public square. I don't care what they are, public, private, that's what we need. We, we have to stop looking at the means. We have to look at the ends, the way the left does. The only way to uproot something that has the weight of the universe behind it. Could you imagine the weight behind masking and vaccines? There has been nothing in the history of humanity that has had that much ill-gotten weight behind it. So we can't hem and haw, oh, I don't like telling the private sector what to do. That is going to be the biggest impediment in working in these legislatures to reverse this if we're going to get tied around that axle. The reality is, and this is the theme today, that there is nothing 
that is private. It is all being done because it's manipulated by the federal government. So if you are a state government, a supposed red state, you have an obligation to come with equal and opposing force to uproot the ill-gotten grooming of society into masking and vaccines and emergency powers and all this stuff needs to be uprooted. Yet show me the candidates running on that. But this is our job. This is my commitment. Otherwise, I would probably leave politics altogether because I'm just sick of it. But this is what keeps me going. Next week, Steve Dace and I will be announcing, you know, our rallying cry behind this. Um, And it's certainly uh, truer today than when we conceived it because this is everything. So the number one issue, see, at a federal level, there's not much we can do anyway. Ironically, the Republicans at this point aren't aren't even going to win that big. If you look at the polling, uh, it's gone down because why would people vote for uh, a more milquetoast, less uh, confident version of what the Democrats are offering? I mean, if you think about what, what the Republicans have given them for free, one after another, it's insane. So they're not even doing good at a federal level level. So it's really our our only hope is fighting for medical freedom at a state level. And this is what we got to do. It's got to be civil rights. Okay? And and I just want to make clear, I'm not saying that all health status would become kind of like race, religion, nationality like we have in in Title 7 and Title 2 of the Civil Rights Act. But at, at, at least a specific aspect of healthcare that you can never be discriminated against on account of not having engaged in a specific medical um, treatment, device, prophylactic, whatever. That is a simple proposition and it is the most important thing to head off the Pfizerocracy, the Fourth Reich that we are already in, and they're going to intensify. Okay, so in other words, if a doctor still wants to say, look, I don't want to treat someone who is sick, that's fine. But what you can't do is someone who is prima facie healthy saying, I'm going to deny you care because I'm because sca- you didn't take this you know, mask or, or vaccine. That is the number one thing that needs to be banned across the board. No exceptions. No exceptions whatsoever. Okay? So we need to update the Civil Rights Act so that employers, retailers, hospitals, schools, and others could not be able to discriminate against individuals based on their refusal to wear a mask or get a shot. Okay? Just like they can't discriminate based on you know sex, race, or religion. That's number one. Number two. You have to subject anyone who forces someone to wear a mask or get a shot to liability for damages from the masks or shots. Number three, threaten the non-profit status of any hospital that engages in such, such discrimination. And by the way, what we also need is a patient bill of rights. Okay, this is still going on. It's worse than ever. The care in the hospitals for COVID, but not just COVID. Other things too. Medical freedom. How do we break the medical cartel? the AMA, the board certification. These are questions that should be on the minds of everyone. You can't live without this. 
I, I get these heartbreaking stories every day from people. And you, know, you could say, oh, I'm healthy, I'm healthy. But, you know, people get old and you have parents that constantly need care. It, it's, it's horrendous. It's literally the Fourth Reich, what we're up against. And by the way, that was the mentality of the Third Reich towards uh, useless people, old, infirm, mentally ill. This is what's happening here. We need to rebuild healthcare from scratch. These are big action items. Obviously, we talked about earlier this week, a digital health privacy bill of rights. This is so, so important. Remember, none of these policies emerged organically from the free market. Okay, I want to be very clear about that. When I can go and have doctors that publicly bash the shots, that publicly don't allow masks and certainly invite people to come to their practices and not wear masks publicly and not get crushed by the state medical licensing board and the monopolistic uh, certifying boards for the various specialties, right? Then come back to me and say, look, you know, a private doctor could say, I'm going to refuse service if you don't wear a mask. But it's not symmetrical. It's not free market. It's not even. That's the problem. So don't give me any of that. We need to go and create a Civil Rights Act. And again, that doesn't require constitutional amendment, doesn't require um, control of Congress. You're going to have a number of trifectas. Because you know, one thing is clear. Um, a wave election means you crush it in the swing areas and even start making inroads in the blue areas. I don't even know if there's going to be a wave at this point. But I think what will be clear is the red states will get redder in terms of at least elected Republicans. And this is our time. This is our moment. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, no matter what comes up from now until later on, this is the biggest point, and in order to do this intellectually, you have to recognize that the private sector is manipulated by the government, and you can't have these dogmatic principles of, oh, you know, I'm going to allow the Fourth Reich to continue because I don't like going after, uh, you know, private businesses. That's nonsense. So I do want to get to our guest today uh, to discuss this public-private partnership and fascism uh, in infringing upon human rights, constitutional rights. Uh, our guest segment today is sponsored by Raycon. Look, a lot of people are becoming transhuman. We're zombies in front of screens. The best way to disentangle yourselves from that is to try listening to things more audio. Listen to the show, audio books, music. Um, I recommend Raycon wireless earbuds for this. Why? A lot of you have commented that I look goofy on TV because I always have that uh, earpiece, you know, coming out of my ear. Raycon is the only thing that fits perfectly in my ear. Um, they have a really good design, optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. They're very comfortable. The other thing is that they give you the brand name quality without the brand name price. It's really the only quality brand that's half the price of other premium audio brands. Eight offers, eight hours of playtime, 32 hours of battery life. Uh, I certainly bring mine everywhere, especially when I travel. So I'm telling you, they feel good, they look good, they're inconspicuous, they sound better. They have an awareness mode also for when you need to listen to your surroundings. The worst thing you can do is you know, walk down the street and be, you know, just not aware of your surroundings and get one of the jailbreaked uh, uh, criminals uh, do, do the knockout on you. 
So it's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 48,000 five-star reviews. If you want a pair or a spare, CR Podcast listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash conservative. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash conservative to save 15% off your Raycons, buyraycon.com slash conservative. So, folks, one of the most odious forms of this public-private partnership is when it comes to big tech. Obviously, we've learned there's this circuitous operation between government, big tech, and big pharma, where basically the government and pharma call in airstrikes to uh, big tech and say, hey, this is a problem. Someone is talking about vaccine injury. That's not allowed to happen. Boom, go zap them. And until now, everyone was saying legally, well, it's a private sector, private company. They could do what, 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 whatever they want. There's no First Amendment rights. But the attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri, they lodged a lawsuit, filed a lawsuit against the federal government because just based on their statements openly, we saw that they were collaborating with Twitter, Facebook, Google, all these big tech companies. And what happens if you have a monopoly of a couple of mega corporations that meet all the time with the federal government on who to zap and what to zap? Well, that already is government censoring your First Amendment rights. So with us today is none other than Attorney General Jeff Landry, the Louisiana Attorney General. He's a former congressman as well, um, who, who led this lawsuit and the discovery that they won from this lawsuit might be very important to a lot of you guys, myself included, uh, getting our free speech back. You know, I'm kicked off of all social media. A lot of you are as well. This week, pretty much everyone left talking about vaccine injury is gone. This is of utmost importance. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update on what's going on with this. So with us today is Attorney General Landry. Uh, Jeff, how you doing? Thanks so much for joining us today at Blaze Media. I'm doing great. I'm doing real good. Uh, and I appreciate you giving me some time and sharing your listeners with us. Well, I, I want to give our guys some good news because it's been a tough period of time we're living through. We had a federal judge decide that that you are entitled to a you have standing to sue the federal government for collaborating to violate first amendment rights of those posting on social media um but offer discovery could you give us an overview of what exactly you won in that decision and the consequences of that decision yeah, look, uh, why don't we do a bigger and broader interview? We'll get into that, but make sure that everyone understands exactly what uh, we're litigating in Louisiana, both uh, Attorney General Schmidt and I. Uh, look, it, it, let's look at it this way. It's shameful at best and possibly illegal at worst that the government would purposely de basically defer, define, uh, 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 not allow information, okay, to Americans that could be life-saving, right? The fact that they would suppress information that some Americans may be able to use and keep that from them is problematic. And also, and, and this is not, it's not just in the healthcare arena, but they, they, they also purposely suppress potential criminal activity. So 
this is the, the lawsuit is like this. So the first the, you know, the amendment, the Bill of Rights is basically what separates us from being a citizen or a subject. And I think that's really important. And the Bill of Rights, what it does is it protects us from government interference into our liberty. And so if you think about this in a Fifth Amendment context, which is search and seizure, the government doesn't have the ability to use a private actor to go and collect evidence towards criminal activity that they believe is happening without probable cause or without a warrant. That would be a violation of the Fifth Amendment. So, in other words, if they believe, if they got probable cause, they have to go to a judge, judge signs a warrant, then they can search you. Well, they can't short-circuit that process by going and finding a friend and co-opting him or basically joining with him and, and convincing him to go collect that which, which they really need a warrant to do. So if you flip that around in a First Amendment context, it's like this. If the government then goes to social media platforms and tells them what to put to amplify and what to keep off their platform, then it's not the social media uh, companies that are making that decision. It's basically the government. And if that is what happens, that is a violation of your First Amendment right. And then the government can be liable, and basically the social media platforms are basically have basically become government actors. Does that make sense? No, that, that, that's perfect, that it's government actors at this point. They're not doing it of their own volition. And I think the proof's in the pudding that... You know, I've been pretty anti-establishment for many, many years, as you well know, and I've said a lot of edgy things in the minds of, you know, the big tech world, big government, and I was never kicked off for 11 years. But when it came to this specific issue, vaccine injury, suddenly I'm gone and anyone else talking about that is gone. And it was inconceivable that that government didn't have a hand in that. Is that what you think you're going to find with the discovery of these documents? Well, we do. We do believe that we're going to um, that, that that is what we're going to find because we know that not long after we filed the litigation, that there were whistleblower information that was sent to Senators Grassley and Hawley that basically confirmed our belief that the government worked with big tech sense of particular information. Yes, I mean, we saw that blatantly how there were emails from CDC's press shop that seemed to indicate they had a weekly Wednesday meeting, uh, and they specifically flagged individuals that I found fascinating. You know, one individual we've had had on the show is Naomi Wolf. And she was permanently suspended from Twitter four weeks after CDC singled out in an email to the tech companies a tweet of hers as an example of misinformation. Right. Well, I so, mean, think about this. So let's think about it in the realm of therapeuticals, right? So Fauci at the beginning said, we're only going to have a one-size-fits-all to attack COVID while people are dying, being intubated. I mean, you know, uh, don't worry. All we can do is look towards some vaccine. And so then there were doctors out there that were actually practicing medicine the way they had been practicing medicine for many, many years. You know, where you go out there and you first do no harm to the patient, uh, and certainly the FDA allows off-label um, use of, of certain prescription drugs, I mean, not certain, of any prescription drug 
based upon a criteria where the doctor has to inform the patient and educate the patient as to why he wants to use a drug which is not normally used to cure whatever ailment that you have. And so Fauci sees this, and so he tells Facebook, we don't want that kind of therapeutical information out in the public. That's not his decision. He's a government actor. And if, and if he sends that to Facebook, and then Facebook then takes that information and those instructions and uses, that, uses what he tells them instructively, then Facebook allegedly becomes a government actor. And, and that is what, that's the pattern. It's, it's like fashion. Is really what it is. And what about this Section 320 that everyone talks about, uh, you know, where these platforms are exempt from liability? They, doesn't it say that they have to act in good faith? And does any of this taint that? Any of this information showing them collaborating with government? Yeah, so Section 230 uh, basically shields, it's supposed to say that, you know, um, uh, that, that certain um, young nascent industries are protected from liability to allow them to grow. We've been arguing that Section 230 should not apply to big tech anymore, and that they should be liable uh, just as though, just like everyone else out there, for some of the actions that they take that may harm a citizen. You know, I mean, think about it. Really, I, you know, it, it begs the question. You know, Facebook has a product or a service, depends on how you look at it. If their service or their product is putting information out there that's defective purposely and somebody is injured based upon it, then they can be held liable. But Section 230 has kind of shielded them from that for quite some time. And it's been this huge movement inside of uh, Congress to basically strip them of 230. And we've supported that. Many AGs around the country have supported that. Yeah, so it looks like there's there are multiple angles here that this needs to be attacked. But the angle that you're using, obviously, that there's government collaboration uh, that makes them a government actor, a conduit to violate First Amendment free speech. Could you just tell us a little bit about the timeline of this lawsuit, what to expect in the coming weeks, and what sort of tidbits you're going to be looking for in discovery that will be most helpful to proving this case? Well, so we, let's go back in time. So the first thing that uh, I think there were like 19 attorney generals that signed on to a letter uh, to Merrick Garland. Remember when the government had created, Biden had created the disinformation board, right? And we wrote them a letter saying, look, that's like prima facie violation of the First Amendment. I mean, the fact that the government has a, an agency or a board called the disinformation board. And then mm. about 24 hours later, we filed the suit. And then a couple of weeks later, or maybe a month later, is when the whistleblower information came out. And then we asked the court for discovery. Actually, we said, look, we would like to conduct discovery on our legal theory here and on this petition. The judge then granted that discovery about two, three weeks ago. So subpoenas were prepared. The subpoenas have gone out. And we're now in the process of collecting that information, emails and, and other documentation and correspondence that may have that, that, that may have um, uh, gone in between uh, some of the Biden administration and big tech in order to instructing them uh, to censor certain uh, people 
or certain information and maybe to amplify others. So what could people expect, people that have lost their access, like myself, they've been taken off of, of these platforms. If you find over the next uh, month or so, month or two months, information directly linking government to individuals who lost their accounts because they questioned the vaccine, because they uh, you know, said they took ivermectin or something like that, is there an avenue for you as an attorney general and, and some of your other counterparts in other states to then sue on behalf of residents of that state that lost their Twitter account because of that information? In other words, because they put out information that we now know government collaborated with um, with the tech industry to censor that? Or would that require a private cause of action? Yeah, well, look, it would, that's more in the realm of a private cause of action. However, if, if, if it was widespread within the state, and depending upon the consumer protection laws in those states, like in Louisiana, we've got an unfair and deceptive trade practice law. And the question is, would, the, would that conduct, the conduct that we may discover, uh, lead to a violation of our consumer protection laws like Louisiana's unfair and deceptive trade practices, then that would certainly give rise to the attorney general to potentially take action. But that's going to be state-by-state dependent. And yep. I think that private actors absolutely have, uh, you know, depending upon what we find and what's out there, could potentially have uh, a private right of action. I mean, and certainly in many other contexts. Yeah. Well, well let, me, let me just say this. In Louisiana, so let's just say that you... Um, believe that, 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 let's say you are a Louisiana resident and you believe that their conduct violated Louisiana's unfair and deceptive trade practices. You wanted to sue them on their own. If you do so, you notify the attorney general's office and if you're successful, you get what's called treble damages, which means that you get three times the damages that the court would order uh, based upon that. And so, look, there's a lot of good teeth in the consumer laws around the country. Most of those um, laws that have been passed are kind of cookie cutter, so they're very similar. Some of them may have some little different nuances in them, uh, but again, it's all going to be based upon what we find. Got it. Um, so one of the aspects of this whole ordeal was, was obviously the censorship of speech, but then we have the physical aggression against people's bodily autonomy that was foisted upon them by the federal government, and and it's been shocking that it's two and a half years into this. And we're still told Jacobson, uh, you know, reigns supreme. A government could do anything they want to you. They don't have to show evidence. They don't have to show, give due process. There's no interest balancing test. Cover your breathing holes. Get an injection. Otherwise, you lose public accommodation. You lose everything. And we seem to be without options. Do you think there are other other legal avenues that we could use to fight some of what we're seeing. Let me just give you an example, and I know this might depend on the state. There's, We're told, typically, I, I mean, my understanding, when you're a private business, you're subject to OSHA, ADA, anti-discrimination law. I think you would agree we're far from 1789, where supposedly a private business could do whatever they want, right? I mean, there's plenty of regulations. But somehow when it comes to this, you're able to have a doctor tell a disabled person 
Um, you cannot get medical care unless you cover your breathing holes, even if you're a trauma victim and it's hard for you to do. And and we're told, well, you know, private businesses could do what they want. Two two part question. Number one. Are there various state or federal anti-discrimination laws that could be utilized? And number two, do we reach a point where you have a similar argument to what we're talking about with big tech, where the private industries would have never thought of this idea on their own, but it was the government that pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. So even if now they take it off officially, it's it's tainted by federal action against your body. Is there? Am I shooting for the moon here? Yeah, look, you're covering a lot. You're trying to you're trying to sweep with a pretty big broom in an area that really you have to use individually smaller brooms. Sure. Number one, let's go back to Jacobson. You talked about Jacobson earlier. I think it's extremely important uh, to have an appreciation for Jacobson instead of instead of criticizing that opinion. What that opinion said was that respected states' rights, that respected local autonomy. That respected basically the ability of the states or a community to police itself. That's something that conservatives have been wanting. That was the basis for the Dobbs decision, right? We all we, we rally against the federal government being overreaching. So we have to be careful as we tread. I think that the answer now, especially based upon the information that is out there, okay, based upon what we know. And what we've been saying, because a lot of what we've been saying has been come to be proven to be right. That was just with Dr. Malone. We were talking about this. And, and so it's up to us to work inside of our local communities, inside of our state legislators, to prohibit the kind of tyrannical activity that occurred during the pandemic. Yeah. And then if the states pass a law or you place some of those protections inside of your state constitutions, I think that you would see the federal government respect that. Remember, I was one of the lead, I was the lead uh, attorney general on the CMS and the OSHA mandates with Texas. And, and we took it all the way up to the Supreme Court. What was interesting was, was that in the OSHA case, we had about, a, I don't know, several hundred business owners. In the CMS case, we had like 13 states or whatever it was. And we, we saw different results, I think, because we didn't have private plaintiffs in, on the CMS side, it was like, I mean, it was complete gymnastics to decide one yep. different than the other, right? But but then you see, then you, you watch the Supreme Court since that time, and they've done a lot of different things that basically you would say, well, I don't know, how did they come to that conclusion in CMS? Well, they, they continually striking away, to, like West Virginia versus EPA, huge case, right? That grant that basically put an agency back into its sandbox. And so I think, you know, if you think through all of the questions you ask, I think that the answer is, and it continues to be, the way to fix this country is through our state. It's yes. a man that the states have rights and protections, and that the federal government is supposed to be a limited, more smaller government. Yes, yeah, so the, the problem is that I saw a lot of federal judges trying to apply Jacobson to the federal government. But but your point is, you know, it applied to the state governments. But if you want to protect against that, you could certainly work in your state legislatures. And, and that's why it's so important. Obviously, a state like Louisiana, Republicans have pretty strong majorities um, and they, they need to step up to the plate there elsewhere. Um, where else 
kind of final frontier here, where else do you see some sort of avenue to push back against overreach from the Biden administration that you might be working on with other uh, attorneys general? Oh, man, I mean, get your get, get your menu out. I mean, we've been after it. We filed the first suit on the social cost of carbon, which is a, a far-reaching um, uh, executive order. And if, if, if the government is successful, even the federal government has just knows no reach as to what kind of activity it can regulate among citizens. Um, we've been, you know, we've been successful on the immigration front, pushing back. I mean, Look, just the other day, we finally got a, a district, a federal district judge to agree with us. But a Biden administration, I mean, think about this. A Biden administration issued the executive order telling the immigration um, department that they could not deport criminals who had come into, these are people who came into the country illegally, who had been convicted of certain uh, crimes, some of the most violent crimes under which a federal law has a list that says, if you are in the country legally and you commit these crimes, it is subject to automatic deportation. And Biden and them are fighting to keep those in. I mean, they love the criminals more than the citizens. <laughs> yeah, it's like the INA to, doesn't exist. To make you scratch, yeah, it starts to make you scratch your head. And maybe, they, maybe they did have a sinister reason as to why they didn't fund the police. They like the criminals more than they like the citizens. Well, we're certainly going to be counting on you and your colleagues, you know, as one of the many avenues. Obviously, state legislatures need to push back. Um, really appreciate, certainly on a personal level, because hopefully your discovery will help uh, people like myself try to get our First Amendment back. So keep fighting for us and definitely keep us updated. Okay, thank you. Have a great Take day. care. God bless. So again, folks, that was Attorney General Jeff Landry from Louisiana. And, you know, it's really the kind of the balance that I expected. The utility of attorneys generals, I think, in general, will be more about discovery, which is important. But to directly count on them to just use the courts to to strike down Biden, I think we'll have a couple of wins. But like he noted, there are a lot of limitations. There are a lot of limitations, and he's right. At the end of the day, uh, you're not going to count on the courts to protect you from from you know medical tyranny. It's got to be an effort in the state legislatures. There's no way around that. Um, we should use the courts as much as we can. But folks, on net, I am right in what I'm suggesting that – Judicial supremacism will always work against us, okay? You know, nine times out of ten, we're going to regret. Now, now, not that I call this judicial supremacism because an individual has the right to make a claim, but what I'm saying is certainly like broad policies that the court has the final word in, 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 in that. You know, I'm just telling you, either way, to be free, we're going to have to do this at a political level in the red states. But then once we do that, Guess what's going to be standing in our way? The single biggest problem is going to be the federal courts. Everything we want to do, see, they're not going to let us go. We'll be like, oh, blue states are nothing. We have no help from the courts. We have to flee them, go to red states. Fine. Then we go there, finally make them red again, hopefully, get rid of all the rhinos, and do righteous stuff. Guess what? Every last thing we want to do, the courts are going to be there and stand in our way. This is the biggest problem because, again, 
the theme today is private monopolies that the government directly and indirectly made and built up over the years and then uses as a conduit to do all of their human rights violations. Like, you know, Landry gave an example of, hey, if you know you had, I don't know, a tech company go out and say, hey, do a legal search and seizure for us. And that's what they're going to do. Hey, cover people's breathing holes. Demand that they inject Pfizer's product. Okay, that's what they're going to do. So we're going to have to break through that. So first we have to have the political will to stop with this stupid argument that, oh, it's a private actor. They could do what they want. And number two, um, you're going to have legal problems because then they're going to go to court and say, hey, you're violating our corporate rights and they'll win. You know, I wanted to just demonstrate this to you, how the courts are rarely there when we need them. You know, we had that rare victory on discovery, at least in Louisiana here, but generally they're only there against us. This is an article from earlier this week from the AP. West Virginia judge says Medicaid must cover transgender care. Think about that. Imagine, you know, if we said you must cover all these vaccine injury. They're not covering it, by the way. Ivermectin, they're not covering it. But you could say that they have to cover mutilation. Notice how everything is upside down. Oh, Daniel, a private entity. What are you going to do now? Huh? Huh? Now you're begging us to say that this uh, insurance companies have to cover in vaccine injury or have to cover you if you didn't get the vaccine, for example. They're threatening to cut off uh, coverage to people, by the way. A private actor can do what they want. And then Medicaid certainly doesn't cover that. But then when it comes to this, no, 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 U.S. District Judge Chuck Chambers in Huntington made the ruling Tuesday in a lawsuit filed by uh, Rainbow Jihad Group Lamboda Legal. I'd hate Lambda Legal. I hate to know what that means. Chambers said that the Medicaid exclusion discriminated on the basis of sex and transgender status and violated the Equal Protection Clause under the 14th Amendment. So that's right, the 14th Amendment, written in 1867, precludes you from not covering balls cutting. Okay, so this is the country we're in now. This is the legal construct we have, where you you could, you could must cover and must perform balls cutting, but you're able to deny legitimate care to someone for not wearing a diaper on their breathing holes or for not getting Pfizer's private bioweapon. Okay? This is where we are. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, you know, here, all these states, what are one of the things we want to do? Go after the balls cutting. Um, Ron DeSantis said yesterday that doctors who perform it should be sued. But I'm just telling you, the courts rarely are, you know, give us a positive outcome. Now, I'm all for the fact that we're in a street fight right now and we need to use every angle. I have no problem using it. I'm just telling you, um, I would much rather go in the direction of telling Democrats if they're upset that there's a so-called conservative Supreme Court, all right, let's shake hands that, you know, if, if courts give a ruling that has bearings on a broad public policy, the other branches of government are, are, are free to push back with their respective powers if they don't agree with it. And we're going to need that. I'm telling you we're going to need that. The only reason it's not a problem so much is because red states rarely do good things. 
so there you are. But um, I'm, I'm just telling you, we're going to need this patient bill of rights, medical freedom bill of rights, digital privacy bill of rights. Because right now what we're facing is the we don't have a private sector. The government destroyed small businesses. The government did that. So everything that the private companies do now is all because of government. I, I, my, my outcome is freedom. I'm going to point that ship to freedom and we're going to get it. Because they pointed their ship to tyranny and they violated every rule of private property, every constitutional rule, everything to get there. And they created all these anti-discrimination laws when it suited them. So I'm not going to disarm this is one of the biggest things intellectually that we have to come to peace with. Let me give you another example of this. The, the World Economic Forum is out with this uh, video. They have these creepy videos every day. Um, I play it, but you have to see. It's more uh, a script that you have to see. They're, they're playing up artificial intelligence. And they're saying that by, and I don't doubt it, by 2025, it's projected to become a $150 trillion industry. Okay? $150 trillion industry. So you'll have the private sector screw with us. We're going to need protection from that. We have to be willing to come to grips with that. It's that simple. So wanted to just kind of do rapid fire, go through uh, the remaining 20 minutes or so of this week. There's a lot of news I just want to dump on you. So late last night, Kirsten Cinema, the Arizona phony moderate who's a leftist, uh, she, as we all knew, gave the 51st vote for the big reconciliation bill that will basically create green fascism in America. And everyone's laughing that, you know, what was the one thing she held it up? Not over like the fascism, the green fascism and everything. The tax on, on carried interest for hedge fund managers. Like it just show, shows you what happened to today's Democrat party. Um, so again, it's not about any one tax or spending provision that's a problem. It's what it empowers. Let me give you an example. It throws tens of billions of dollars at the IRS. Now, it's not just the spending that's the problem. It's what they're creating with it. The army of 86,000 new IRS agents they created. Okay? They're going to hire 50,000 more than the number of new recruits the actual army will bring in this year. I want you to think about the consequences of that. That's not just wasteful spending. You know, you know what that's going to do. Think about January 6th. Think about so many ways. See, if you're like a boring kind of, you know, W-2 tax ref tax form, I mean, even then they could screw with you. But let's say that's fine. But who do you think is going to get most tripped up on this? Pfizer? Do you think they're going to open Pfizer's books? No. It's going to be small business owners. You know, there's so many ways you could ensnare people in tax law and they're going to hold and and then they're going to arrest you and then what they're going to do we see this from January 6 
they're going to dig up your social media postings and, oh, he was citing the Declaration of Independence. He was calling for a national divorce. He needs to be held without bail. This is not your grandfather's tax and spend liberal bill. That's my point. This is what the rise of the Fourth Reich means. They use this private-public partnership of corporate America, which is transnational, by the way, to then go and crush the individual and small businesses. And they're like, well, it's a private sector. Here you go, baby. And they're going to take away all of your rights. That is really scary. But the Republicans spent this entire time, their strategy was rely on Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, Rather than blasting them with ads in their states, they helped them get reelected by, you know, because they actually endeared them to the voters of their states. The majority of voters are, are conservative in those states, especially West Virginia. And they're like, look, the Democrats are attacking Manchin. So the voters are like, oh, okay, I like Joe Manchin. But really, it's, it's a fraud. They're 99% as communist as the other Democrats. Is a 1% difference, and that 1% is not you know, rooted in um, intrepid principles. It's just because it's pra- pra- pragmatism, right? They're from red states, so they have to play some sort of one-two-step game. So they put all their faith, oh, Cinema and Manchin are going to save us from this. Rather than from day one coming into the Democrat trifecta, Democrats had trifecta, but they had a very tenuous control. It's 50-50, and they only have the VP to break a tie, but they, they're they 10 votes short of 60 votes. Well, Daniel, this reconciliation bill only requires 51. Yeah, but everything else requires 60. They could have made it clear, if you go with reconciliation, we will block everything you want, both the must-pass bills, the budget bills, the debt ceilings, the NDAAs, but also... The new, the new things that we worked with you on. They gave them everything. They gave them guns, you know, red flags. They gave them the CHIPS Act. Everything they wanted. That's why the Democrats are going up in popularity. Republicans are sinking. You have the worst economy, the worst coming off of martial law, the worst Democrat president ever, comatose. Everyone knows he's, he's done with. The Democrats have the most severe headwinds facing them this election, and Republicans are blowing it. And by the way, speaking of this CHIPS Act, it's unbelievable. You won't believe this. So we talked about how Republicans spent $280 billion. Mitch McConnell and 16 Republicans voted for this CHIPS Act. $280 billion thrown at Intel and the semiconductors, uh, manufacturers, and National Science Foundation. Basically, it takes everything that's wrong with our economy and supply chains and technology and it pours gasoline on it. Okay, so what, what's the problem with our economy? Again, this private-public partnership where basically the government you know, gave corporate welfare to create these monopolies. So there's corporate welfare, and in this case, they had a billion, you know, hundreds of billions more. And then also the regulatory capture, too. Remember, all these regulations, they're designed to create monopolies of the only companies that could withstand them. This hierarchy, and a lot of them probably break it too, but it's it's a hierarchy. 
Then the same companies over the years successfully lobbied for visa pork. They lobby for individual pork, corporate welfare, but visa pork so they could get cheaper workers. And I don't know, I'm not going to kind of rehash this when we used to do shows on this a few years ago, but I think you understand why is it that Americans are completely demographically gerrymandered out of entire fields, all of tech, now accounting, everything, but certainly tech. They're all Chinese and Indian because they brought them here. And then the Chinese used a brain gain where, you know, some stayed here, but a lot of them went back to China and then brought all the technology there, trade theft, espionage, counterintelligence. That is why the, the, the immigration system is the, is the conduit for how China has sucked us dry. There's other ways, too. That's the big thing. Why am I giving you this entire you know, preface? Because just this week, the same semiconductor companies like Intel that got hundreds of billions in corporate welfare directly and indirectly from the chip spill, they turned around and now they sent a letter demanding um, a massive increase in foreign worker visas. So it's, it's literally, to add insult to injury, people warned, and even Rob Portman um, had a provision, an amendment to bar the Chinese, to bar these companies from from producing in China, and also had certain immigration provisions, very modest, but basically to make it easier for the State Department to flag people like Chinese visa holders that they feel are coming at the behest of. You know, the Thousand Talents program, the Confucius Institute um, that have this pipeline with the student visas, the worker visas uh, to, to suck us dry. Right now, really, there should have been a better provision that just said you have to hire American citizens. But that wasn't even a provision. Of course, they deny those amendments, but still Mitch McConnell gives them secure 17 Republican votes on behalf of Schumer. They get a pass, pass the House. Biden signed it into law. And now, to add insult to injury, right away they come back. They're not even pretending. Yeah, we need more foreign workers. So they're going to take the corporate welfare, they're going to take the rope we paid for to hang ourselves with, and now we're going to hire more Chinese. It's unbelievable. But this is this public-private partnership that has been created, this feedback loop with the lobbying, corporate welfare, boxing out the citizen, boxing out the American worker. This has been going on for so long, and Republicans are not are not only not promising to end it, but every day, even in the minority, they supply the votes to make it even worse. So that's what that. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's truly sickening. Let's go back to some of the vaccine injury news. Um, this is from the Daily Skeptic. COVID vaccines are killing one in every 800 over 60s. Unbelievable. Dr. Theo Shedders, a vaccinologist based in the Nether Netherlands, who, by the way, played a lead role in developing a number of vaccines, has analyzed the official data from the Dutch government and found a very close correlation between when fourth vaccine doses were administered in the country and the number of excess deaths, as shown in the chart below. Importantly, in the Netherlands, the booster rollout is different in different regions was staggered over a number of weeks, allowing an analysis by region, which conf confirms the effect. Dr. Shedders, who is a recipient of the Medal of Honor of the Faculty of Pharmacy 
at the University of Montpelier in France told Dr. Robert Malone that medical doctors are currently seeing all sorts of symptoms that they do not know what it is, and that in the Netherlands now it's very clear that there's a good correlation between the number of vaccinations that are given to people and the number of people that die within the week after that. So again, this is just short term. Just short term. So he he goes through excess deaths, the striking correlation by region. Um, his own organization, consisting of seventeen thousand medical practitioners, scientists, has released a statement that the vaccine should be withdrawn. I mean, this is this is all over the place, and basically they go through the data here, calculating how they arrive at that number. I want to get to other things. I don't have time here, but they believe it's killing one in every 800 over 60s. If you do the math and you would extrapolate that for every age group of the entire U.S. population that got it, that would work out back of envelope something like 500,000 vaccine deaths. Now, to be clear, they're only working with over 60s. It could be it's dose dependency. All of them had three or four doses. So, you know, again, I've estimated until now, I thought it was roughly... 350,000 vaccine deaths, give or take, in the U.S. But, you know, this is yet another data point that coincides with this, that harmonizes all the data we are seeing. Um, Another interesting thing here, monkeypox. So this was from California State Senator Scott Weiner, who's involved in San Francisco's monkeypox response, Washington Post says, if people want to have sex, they're going to have sex. I know people who normally go to sex parties who will not, but people will make their own decisions about their own risk levels. Think about that. Think about that. That they prevented people from going to funerals of their grandparents. They prevented people from life cycle events. They prevented people from breathing everywhere, whether you had symptoms or not, whether you had the virus or not, it, and, and for, for a virus that wasn't quarantinable. And yet here, when it comes solely from one thing, they're like, look, you know, it's your choice. Again, that is the fourth Reich. It's a hierarchy, just like the third Reich was a hierarchy. It doesn't have to be built upon race, although they don't like white males. Um, but what we're up against is a system. It's a way of life. It's a way of life that they're creating for the better good. With the Third Reich, it was national. Here, it's globalist. It's it's internet. It makes it, and that makes it even worse because you can't run away from it. And it's a hierarchy. So it's not like oh my gosh, we care so much about. Pandemics that we're going to violate your human rights, even when it has nothing to do with um, addressing the source of the pandemic. No, because here when you have something that is the exclusive source of the pandemic, hey, it's all good. Pe- you know, pe- people are going to have orgies. It is what it is. And again, I I really give the left credit. This is just another example of the imbalance between conservatives and liberals. The pagans, they fight for their religion. As, as I've noted, there is no greater religion than homosexuality. It is, it is stronger than any religion around today. They fight for their religious services. They are not going to suspend their religious services because their religious services in their mind are deemed essential. And again, to even limit 
the amount of orgies would anger their gods and they have to please their gods and their their service is is the orgies and they're not going to stop it. And yet, how many of us in our communities, even the most conservative Christians and conservative this, you know, would go down and be like, yeah, yeah, we got to shut the churches. A, a big part of why we are where we are, like, I, like I've been warning you, is because we are not as righteous or conservative or, you know, intrepid in our beliefs, pro-freedom, as they are in their beliefs. And, and it shows. But speaking of monkeypox, I, I just I do want you guys to to know this. I am a little bit concerned. It's not just the gay orgy stuff. You do have to wonder where is this coming from? It does seem to be more than we've ever had with monkeypox. Why? Why now? And I think there's one of two options, or maybe they could both be true. It's either gain of function, well, three options. Gain of function. Or it is the vaccines lowered our immunity. Remember, I mean, the type of people that are involved in the orgies are the type that would have all gotten 50 shots for the most part. So it's a form of VADES that lowers our immune system because we're seeing a lot of different things pop up now. So it's hard to know. Are they releasing it? I can't say for sure because it could be one of few things. Or is it the vaccine? This Gineus vaccine is very problematic. There's already 50 adverse events reported to VAERS on, on it. Um, and it is a live attenuated vaccine. You have to wonder if it's replicating. You do have to wonder that. By the way, CDC admitted, straight up, there are no data yet on the effectiveness of Gineos for PEP. That's, that's what they call this. Although... This is also true of ACAM 2000. There is evidence that the precursor for ACAM 2000 was effective in eradicating the smallpox. Public health officials have concern about the lack of real-world effectiveness data for Gineos. Okay, so this is straight up. Straight up on CDC's website. They are literally giving something that is, that is not proven. Um, so this is, this is very, very problematic. They claim they have supplied 28 million doses. I'm very worried about this. I don't know what that vaccine is. So we could laugh and say, if you don't engage in an orgy, you won't have a problem. Until now, that appears to be the case. But we don't know what they have up their sleeve, and we have to be vigilant for that. And then as far as the vaccine, the COVID vaccine causing this, um, this is the story with uh, you know, this, this whole immune deficiency issue there's this guy professor Samuel Shapiro he is the closest thing to Fauci in Israel except with a military side too he was the director general of Israel's institute for biology research between 2013-2021 he led the original development the work on Israel's vaccine this is the guy that forged with Pfizer all the deals okay he's the founder and head of the department of military medicine of the Hebrew University faculty of medicine and the IDF Medical Corps. He's a senior research fellow at the International Institute of Counterterrorism. So this guy's like, like out of a James Bond movie. And he is now openly saying basically the vaccine is a bioweapon. And he's criticizing everything. See, this is another thing you won't hear in the media. And Twitter, I think, temporarily suspended him. I don't think he's permanently banned yet. But he will be very soon because he's, he's actually pretty bold on Twitter. Um, you could follow him. 
The last name is Shapira. I don't know if it's how it's pronounced. Shapiro, Shapira, S H A P I R A. Um, he served previously as the deputy director general of Hadassah Medical Organization. I mean, this guy has has some sort of bio going on there, and he was injured by the third shot. He said, um, "Very significant," is is the way he described it. I think he came out of the closet in May, and he said, my trust in the nature of the decision and the process of making them has been severely eroded. No one asked, no one checked. Um, and he's he's really been pu- putting this all on the line. I will continue to and ask why, why give an outdated fifth vaccine that does not prevent disease and apparently causes many significant common side effects. And then... You know, he shared a lot of the data of New South Wales showing that infections increase with vaccination. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm anti-stupidity, anti-fake science, and anti-incompetent management. Twitter warned me to remove the information connecting monkeypox to coronavirus vaccine. Each day I understand better where we live in which year. And basically, he raised concerns that the monkeypox outbreak is being fueled by this immune suppression of all the people who got the shots. This is a very significant issue. He's now raising those questions. So this is something we all need to look at. Remember... Israel is ground zero for Pfizer, and this guy is like probably the most qualified person to talk about this. He was initially involved in it, but unlike everyone else with mass uh, mass formation psychosis, he at least is getting off of that bandwagon and recognizes this stuff. I mean, how do you explain other people? I mean, this is the top Israeli vaccinologist. And yet we can't even get Republicans to talk about this. Now, we're going a little bit over time here, you know, because I wanted to get stuff from my little stack here. And I still have a lot of stuff in my stack left for the week. We'll have to save for next week. But, uh, and, and, and by the way, you could follow me on Telegram at C19 Truth Bombs. If you don't have Telegram, you really should. It's probably the safest app. Um, and it's not based in the United States, which is a good thing. So that's kind of the beacon, beacon of freedom in, internationally at this point. So that's where you can find a lot of my stuff. Um, j- just in terms of what we're up against and this reluctance to fight the medical industry if we think it's private. And especially hospitals have tax-exempt status and Medicaid funding anyway. So it's that's fair game. But we have to be willing to start putting human rights restrictions on these places. I want, I want to read to you an email from Catherine, one of our listeners, and, and I get emails like this all day that just encapsulates what we're up against in the medical system and what we need to change and why we cannot shirk from this fight. And this is going to be a big part of what Steve and I are pushing. This is literally the rise of the Fourth Reich. My uncle tested positive for COVID just barely two weeks ago while in his nursing home. And mind you, he had three or four shots. 
And since he seemed to be getting more lethargic as the days were on, his primary care doctor, who was out on vacation, basically said to go to the ER. While at the ER, the staff ran several tests, found an E. coli infection in his urinary tract, and started him on stronger antibiotics. He tends to get UTIs pretty regularly. Fine. He also has Parkinson's disease. So a lot of you could empathize with Catherine here. Um, you have relatives, an uncle, father, mother, that is at this stage of life. He was improving so much over the next few days, sassing the nurses, asking them to please leave the room so he could finish his TV show, that they were working on getting him released by the middle of the week. However, there was some question about his insurance allowing the release, so he stayed another couple of days during which things seemed to take a turn for the worse. He began aspirating his food. His blood pressure started to drop. By Friday of last week, his blood pressure dropped to 60 over 30, so that the doctor ordered him back in the ICU, started blood pressure medication through IV. By Friday night, the ICU nurse was calling me to suggest that they could remove the blood pressure meds and other treatment and just put him on a morphine drip since it looked like he was dying, basically DNR. She allowed me FaceTime with him so I could see for myself, and he was literally on death's door, couldn't talk, couldn't, could barely breathe, looked a little panicked because of both. I was devastated, but I couldn't just let them pull the plug at the time, thinking there must be something else to be done. I just prayed and hoped through the rest of the night, thinking I was going to have to deal with his prearranged funeral stuff the next day. And I was going to possibly tell my elderly dad, his brother, in the morning. And I, I just want to stop here. So many people went through this, where... You know, people, okay, they had something, but you knew they were going to get through it. And then suddenly, they were just like starved to death, maltreatment, and then they were deathly ill. Like, what? How, how did that happen? Now, unlike everything else, and we're going to talk about this more next week with the rise of the Fourth Reich, and what has happened to America, American medicine, which is eerily, eerily similar to the Third Reich in Germany, This actually has a good ending, or so far. But that also kind of proves my point, the flip side of this. Next morning, enter a brand new doctor. I won't say his name because I didn't get permission. Um, this is in Texas. He called to say that he was new on the case. He'd been off the previous week. He apologized for not being there. He had done some studies, and he has published studies, using a 100-year-old antibiotic Dapsone, D-A-P. S-O-N-E, I never heard of it, with some good success in treating COVID. He said he was not promising the moon, knew that the patient had underlying conditions that would be hard to overcome, but if the family wanted to give it a try, second chance at life, he was willing. I thanked him and agreed. It was a ray of hope. Um, he also let me know, unbeknownst to me, my uncle had not been given any nutrition or food for the past 48 hours. And again, this is a big theme of what is going on in the hospitals. I was horrified. No wonder he was so weak. It would be 72 hours total that he would be deprived of any nutrition. Absolutely mind-blowing. Fast forward to today, Thursday, I guess this was yesterday, not quite a week later. My uncle is responsive, talking again, giving the ICU nurses a hard time. Oxygen levels, hemoglobin levels, and blood pressure and kidney function steadily improving, feeling so much better, praise God. To him goes all the glory, but if he hadn't sent along this doctor who was willing to at least try something, we would have been facing a funeral this week, and I would have been living with this horrible thought that I was helpless to do anything for him at the end of his life. And this presents the good and the bad. It shows the evil of what's going on in hospitals, but it also shows the difference between having a doctor with a brain and a heart and one without it. And this is what we saw throughout COVID. 
It's just, it's the difference between life and death. And that's why we cannot be neutral and be like, oh, hospitals could do what, what, what we want. We need to start pushing the legislatures and the state departments of health and the governors and the attorneys general to get on these cases to start pushing a patient bill of rights, right to try, um, banning medical kidnapping, all sorts of things. We need to start holding this accountable. We need to start promoting off-label use. By the way, I, I sent around some emails just for your information, this antibiotic Dapsone, whatever it is. I never heard of it. Um, but I was told that it has a similar uh, uh, mechanism of action to colchicine in tamping down the cytokine storm um, and you know just inflammation. It's an anti-inflammatory that uh, they don't recommend it out of the gate, the, the doctor I spoke to, because it could have certain um, side effects, like tamping down your ability to metabolize folic acid, you know, vitamin C, which is very important. So, you know, certainly out of the gate, it's not something, but this is one of the very interesting tool you might want to throw out of someone who's certainly, you know, seriously ill in the hospital with, with COVID or something similar to it. But again, there's so much out there if you have a heart and a brain, but all these doctors get punished and all the Fourth Reich doctors get rewarded. This is something we need to deal with. This is literally a right to life issue. We cannot survive without it. We need a plan at a state level to start enforcing human rights. And yes, against these phony private, because there's nothing that is private anymore. It's all government fascism. The fact that it's being done through the private makes it even a, a worse form of fascism than anything. Folks, we had a very productive week. Thanks to you. We're still growing. I need you to go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating with a review. Really helps with the algorithm. Again, Daniel Horowitz at smartmail.com is the email. Daniel underscore Horowitz on Getter at C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram. Until next week, hope you guys have a terrific weekend. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.